All right, well, welcome back and welcome to those in the room and welcome to those who are up with us on the panel. Um, so for those who have been catching the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been in a, a series called Keep the Change, and it's really been a series around giving, generosity, God's heart, his kingdom, how he operates. And um, we've got four lovely, um, experienced, um, done life for um, a short amount of time, very good-looking um, elders of our church up here this morning. And uh, for those who don't know, Roger and Yvonne, who, uh, Yvonne in the lovely red dress and Rog uh, in the blue right next to them are our founding pastors. For those who may be new to our church, uh, Scotty has sat on an eldership board for years here and in the last couple of years actually stepped out of full-time ministry here in church, but still full-time ministry outside of our church. And then Fiona uh, was leading and senior pastor of his church for many years and uh, has sat on our eldership board. And all four of them sit on our eldership board now, uh, kind of oversight of all of our campuses and our nonprofits. So that's just a little... Um, yeah, just look into who the four people we're going to be having some discussion with. But we're going to continue the discussion of keeping the change. Uh, how do we live a life of generosity? And, uh, you know, when it comes to God's generosity, often he displays that through us. And often uh, it is displayed in God, as we sang in that last song, God asking all of us. And I know for each of you, um, I know your lives um, and I know the stories. And there's many, many accounts of generosity, many times where God's asked you to pour out your lives, where God has asked you to sacrifice. And what we use as terminology, the, the cost of the call, where God says, yes, I want to use you, but I want to see whether you're willing to trust me with everything. And so we're going to just ask you some questions today. And and trusting that it's going to stir your faith. And yes, all four of them are in full-time ministry and have kind of been in church uh, for the last uh, however many years, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, but it's not necessarily about ministry as much as it is about answering the call that God has over each of our lives. And, um, and so, Roger, I'm going to start with you. Um, I know that there's a scripture in Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, um, and it was a key scripture for you leaving what was your world before that on the farm, being a farmer, um, and coming and trusting God and taking a step of faith. Do you want to tell us just a little bit about this passage and how God spoke to you and what it meant? Thanks, Carl. Hi, everyone. Um, just to try and remember that, it was in December 1993, and we were down at our, we had a little beach cottage down on the south coast, and I remember reading um, that scripture, Matthew 19, 29, and, you know, God speaks to us through the scriptures. Uh, many people say they don't hear God's voice. Well, if you don't read the scriptures, you're not going to hear God's voice unless you, as um, clever as Yvonne, she actually heard God audibly one day, but I, I haven't had that privilege. But I read that scripture, and I don't know if it's on the board there or not, but um, have you got it? Yeah. It'll come up, uh, Matthew there and as I read it why is it not coming up do you want me to read it to you and I read it um, it's, it was in the NIV in 1929 not in the year 1929 but Matthew 1929 said Jesus said and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children my version in those days didn't say and wife if I if it had said and wife I would have left Yvonne behind and gone but 
I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have because it wouldn't have worked, eh? But the new one adds in wife there, and the old one didn't have it. Or children or fields. And as you know, as sugar farmers, we had a lot of fields. For my sake, we'll receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And that's how God spoke to me because at that stage, um, I was getting a bit tired of sugar farming. Um, it was a drought year. I don't know if any of you can remember back to that time. It was a drought year, and I wasn't enjoying farming. And that's how God spoke to me. And, um, but I didn't just do it without chatting to my wife first and then to the elders of the church that we were attending. Then I went to the elders, and I said, look, I think it's time that I leave all these things behind and do something else, but I wasn't sure what. Anyway, my elders then were Ian Goulet and Dudley Thompson, and they suggested, they knew I was very clever, um, they suggested that I go to Bible college. Yvonne nearly fainted when I told her that because you all know the old joke, my three best years were standard seven, and I said, I want to go to Bible college, and I spoke to them, and that's where we met Fiona, and we went to Bible college, and that's enough for now. Because uh, you wouldn't have anybody to crib from. Yeah. Oh, yes. I had to crib. You don't tell Fiona, but the only reason I passed Bible college was I used to crib from Vonnie, and um, I still got bad marks. If I can just stay there for a moment longer, Rog, I know... Obviously, for you, uh, that was a huge sacrifice yes, to be yes. able to walk away from what you knew, to walk away from what was kind of came naturally to you, and to trust God, not knowing what the season held ahead. There were some miraculous things where God started to drop things in your heart about this piece of land, yes. um, about building a church, all things that really others spoke about as foolish, and I guess it took some real humility. Can you just share one or two of those stories and, and how you saw God's supernatural generosity. Yeah, it was an amazing time really because we went to Bible college um, and we never thought we'd ever plant a church. Um, the plan was to go to Bible college for a year and then go back to the farm. And I had a manager on my farm and I said, we're going, we rented a house here for a year. And I said, we'll be back next year. But God changed things. Um, I enjoyed the first year at Bible college a lot, except for Adele. Where's Adele? She used to on me all the time, but um, no, we did enjoy it. And then we decided to do a second year at Bible College. And during that second year, 1995, people came to Yvonne and I and said, would you start a Bible study? And we started a little Bible study, and that grew, and it grew. And then people said, what about a church? And I said, no, I'm a farmer. I'm not a pastor. We're not going to start a church. But anyway, God spoke to us, and that's when we, um, yeah, we, our little group grew more and more. And I used to drive past every day uh, the house we were renting, which we actually bought in 1995. We used to drive past this piece of land every day, which was a vacant piece of land then. And God said, I, I would hear God every time I drive past, say, nice place for a church, nice place for a church. But it was impossible to buy this piece of land because it wasn't for sale, and the government owned it. The Department of Transport owned it. Anyway, I have to give other people a chance to talk, uh, Colin. But anyway, God miraculously gave us this piece of land at a very cheap price. Um, some of my rich friends told me you'll never get it. They'd offered, one chap had offered 1.1 million rand for this piece of land. Who remembers it in those days? I don't know if you remember. It was just gum trees and 
overgrown grass. Uh, it was a shabin because the pub, the not the pub, the bottle store was just next door here, yeah, and they used to, many people used to buy their booze there and drink on this piece of land. Anyway, we got it um, for a, a fraction of that cost. We paid two hundred and fifty thousand rand, got it, kept it for us, and then everybody told us that we were so foolish we could never build. We didn't have enough people in the church to build this building. But God miraculously, miraculously brought in the money and the people, and here we are today. Amazing. Enough, enough from me. Bond-free, debt-free, God's keeping and the land. And I think sometimes we don't, um, you know, we're out of a church, perhaps you're new to this experience or to this church, and you don't realize the many, many miracles <laughs> yes, that have gone on. Fiona, if I can jump to you for a moment. Um, I sat uh, many years ago at Bible College and thoroughly enjoyed all of your lectures. Uh, but I particularly remember you lecturing on knowing God. And um, there was a time we spoke about his generosity. And there's uh, imagery that's never kind of left me. And that is that God is so generous. One of the ways he shows that is that he um, creates fruit trees, apple trees. And he, he doesn't just put enough that, uh, you know, that just enough, but there's, there's more than enough. In fact, some fall to the ground and go frot. And, and it's almost like he's just showing his lavishness. And uh, it's always been something that stuck with me. Um, but what has also stuck with me is the multiple stories you told about generosity and how God required you to be generous, and more so than that, how he required you to trust him and almost sacrifice all. And there's a great uh, quote from George Mueller, and it says, God judges what we give by what we keep. And sometimes we want to hold on to a lot, and God's actually saying, I need you to give a lot. And I know that that's been your story. Can you share one or two stories from maybe the early days of where God gripped your heart and asked you to give it all? Yeah, sure. Um, because I celebrated my 43rd spiritual birthday last month. And that's always very, very precious to me because my salvation was so great. You know, I came out of great darkness into great light. And my, my conversion was something um, that I've shared in this church before, but it was honestly a miracle that I was delivered out of being, out of the occult, out of being a spiritualist medium and being demon-possessed and, and out of drug addiction, alcoholism. And when I got saved, I experienced the love of God in such a tangible way. Instead of sensing judgment, I just felt this overwhelming love of God pouring out to me because I was struck, it just struck in my heart as they were on the day of Pentecost. And I kept going, Jesus, I didn't know. I didn't know. And um, as we sang here, you know, give us all and this heart belongs to you. That is exactly what I experienced when I got saved. And then um, I, had, I was a teacher at the time. And within six weeks of teaching, I just knew that I couldn't carry on what I was doing because I taught mainly English and history. And I thought I can't just spend the rest of my life teaching people to speak grammatically. Um, I'm so glad I stopped that long ago because grammar is non-existent nowadays. But anyhow, um, so 
I went, I remember going to somebody at the church in Stanger. There wasn't a church there. We would just go down, and it was a little interdenominational meeting that took place in the supper hall of the town hall. And um, Fred Roberts would come up and speak, and it was just, it was really glorious. And I felt as if I was on a new planet, and that everybody that was a Christian was my family, because my own family rejected me completely when I gave my life to Jesus. When I was an alcoholic, it was fine. You know, when I was taking drugs, not that they knew it, it was fine. When I was in a psychiatric institution, it was fine. But when I gave my life to Jesus and told everybody what my, you know, just told everybody about the love of God, I was an embarrassment to them. Um, so anyway, I found this whole new family. So, by the way, subsequently, most of my family are saved now which I just glorify God for. My mum got saved on her deathbed while I was in America at Bible College. Um, she came out of a coma. People were there to pray for her, and she received Jesus, and then she died. But the, the, the most wonderful thing was that within this short period of time, I knew I, I had to just give everything, give everything to him, and I didn't know what to do. So I went to some people and said, if I was, I, I had no church background, so I didn't even know what people did when they were Christians. So I said, um, I, I just, I, I feel I want to just do things that are for Jesus. I don't want to just carry on teaching. And um, through a process, first of all, I, they said, well, you can, you can do something like go to YWAM. So I applied to go to YWAM, and then I got this thing from God. In Genesis 12, exactly the scripture that he spoke to Abraham. And I've got it here. And this was as clear to me as an audible voice. And it says, the, the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And I had no idea where to go. And so I applied to go to Wawam in Holland, and they said they didn't want me. I hadn't been saved long enough. And by a miracle, um, I got into America to Christ for the Nations. But what God said to me with it, six weeks after I got saved was, I want you to give away everything you own. I want you to give away your salary, you can pay your rent, your lights and water, and the lady who helps you, and then you give away the rest. And you trust me. And the scripture that he gave me was in Philippians 4, where it says, um, uh, don't be anxious about anything or have no anxiety about anything, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make known your requests unto me. And God said, I mean that, you make known your requests unto me, not to any human being. If you make known your requests to people, you're begging. And that has been something that has constrained me for the 43 years I've, I've served him. So I went off, I got enough money to go off to go to Bible college and from that point on had to trust God moment by moment and there are just two things that I want if I'm not taking too long two things I quickly want to share one was I've I learned that God can be absolutely implicitly trusted in the tiniest things and in the biggest things the tiniest things I had I hadn't even seen money for several months but there was always there were some groceries on my door or there was just provision, daily provision, like manna, which I can't explain, but it was there. But on this particular day, I was walking across the field, and I was thinking to myself, if I had some money, 
I would go to McDonald's, because we had a McDonald's on the campus, and I would order um, a Big Mac, medium fry, I mean small fries, and a medium Dr. Pepper. And I was smiling to myself, thinking what fun it would be to go and buy it. And as I got onto the walkway of our apartment complex, this girl that I didn't know came out and she said, oh, Fiona, there you are, and handed me a McDonald's packet. And I looked at her and I said, oh, thank you. And I went into my apartment, opened it, guess what was in it? Big Mac, small fries, medium Dr. Pepper. And I mean, that's faster than fast food, guys. And so, um, I, I, you know, I couldn't leave it. I went back and I said to her, like, why did you give me that? So she said, you know, while I was in class, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to go and buy lunch for all my, my roommates. And she said, and when I got home, one of them had gone away for the afternoon. And I saw you and I thought, oh, why don't I just give it to Fiona? But I knew that God had moved on her heart during lectures, found somebody generous enough to respond to his prompting, and went off and did it, and brought me there at the exact moment. And that's a little thing, and I've had many meals in my life, but that's one that is the most precious to me. And then the other story, sure, not too long. The other story is I was um, in a prayer group, a small prayer group, with um, an American, one of the guys was an American, and he was so stingy that you almost had to prize money out of his hand. And he was able to work. I, as a foreign student, wasn't. But it was like he, he really struggled to give anything. And one particular day, I went and on my time, you had to clock in, on my time card, there was $7. Now, that was, I'd been, I hadn't had any money. So I pulled it off and I looked at it and he was with me. I said, guess what? God's given me $7. And I instantly put $2 in my pocket because that was a tithe and offering. And there was $5 left. So I said, come, let's go to McDonald's and have breakfast. You know how long ago that was? Um, so anyway, we went to McDonald's and I said to him, what do you want for breakfast? And bought some breakfast and bought myself a coffee and, and something with what was left. But he said to me, Fiona, you, you can't do this. You can't spend all your money on giving me breakfast. So I said, how long do you think I could live on $5? I'd much rather give it away. Let's enjoy it. And while we were eating, my pastor, um, who actually taught evangelism at the college, walked in, and he was a very dramatic little man. And he walked up and he said, Fiona, I've been looking for you everywhere. And he sat down at the table the previous week, there'd been a flash flood in Dallas, and the water just rises up. And I'd been walking along the road, and um, it, there was just water. So I took off my shoes and was carrying them in my hand. And um, I was walking through the floodwaters. So a car had pulled up, and one of the other lecturers had said to me, what are you doing walking around with no shoes on? So I said, well, I didn't want them to get ruined in the flood. So he said, get in the car. And he said, why aren't you wearing boots? So I said, listen, I'm from Africa, from Zululand. I don't have boots. Um, so, and that had just been something that had happened. So now my pastor says, I didn't know this, but he had taken an offering on Sunday because this lecturer had said to this poor little African was walking along in the floodwaters in bare feet and doesn't have any suitable footgear. So he'd taken an offering. So now I'm sitting across the table from him and Jim, my stingy friend. And he said to me, now, he said, what are you doing this afternoon? And I said, nothing. 
He said to Jim, I want you to take her to the morgue. Can you do that? So Jim said yes. And he reached in his pockets, inside pockets, and he pulled out a wad of money like that. And I mean, it was an offering, so there were loads of $1 bills, but it was about $350. And that was a huge amount of money. And he had an elastic band around it. And he said to me, now, I want you to go to the mall today, and I want you to buy not one, but two pairs of boots, and I don't want you to give away one cent. All this money is for you. And as he handed it to me, the elastic band snapped, and this money just flew up and cascaded down on us. And it was just like God, Jim's mouth was open, his eyes were open, he'd just seen me give $5, and then he saw this cascade of money coming down, and um, loads more stories, but I've spoken too long. No, no, you haven't, that's amazing. I think it's incredible to hear about the small details of God, the particular details of God. I think about that D.L. Moody where he speaks about the the Dead Sea, and he says the problem with the Dead Sea is that it's just got water coming in and nothing going out. And that's a story that you've just shared now about how when you give, when you you freely give, then you freely are able to receive from God. Scotty, can I come to you? I um, have watched your life closely, and I know something that you've said to me for many years and then demonstrated um, is that God is your source. Your salary is not your source. Your employer is not your source. Your business is not your source. God is your source. Now, I know that it's been a a very interesting faith um, requiring season for you over the last uh, two years where you've stepped out of local church and continue to do full-time ministry, but trust God as your source. Um, just floor is open to share whatever you feel um, where you've seen God's provision, where you felt God prompt you to give. Uh, what stories have you got to share from, doesn't have to be the last two years, but whatever you feel. Yeah, cool. Um, so, it, yeah, it's, it's such an exciting journey. And I think that journey, Fiona, as she was sharing now about really the, the love of God that had gripped her heart. And I remember when I got saved as well, it was really, it was, it was the love of God that had gripped my heart for that first time. And, you know, I remember a, a guy who, Louis Else, who prophesied over me at a men's camp, and he prophesied, and he said, you know, you're so excited about the fact that you've found Jesus, that you'll sell the shirt off your back, you'll do anything because you've discovered the love of God. And uh, so that was, you know, I was in business at the time when I got saved. I got saved through Roger Navon's ministry here at Clough Harvest uh, through an Alpha course. And so um, grateful to God that they heard his voice and stepped out uh, in terms of the call on their lives, and, and, and I got saved. And I remember in business at the time, and then came into, um, um, when I say ministry on a full-time basis, church ministry. So I stepped out of a, a business position to do that. And at that stage, uh, myself and Francine were married, and it was fairly easy to do that without any responsibilities of children. Um, and whatnot, and then served within this church for uh, for 15 years. And one thing I've I've come to know with God is that He's got us on this ongoing journey, and it's a journey of intimacy, and and it's a journey of, of relationship and walking with Him. And probably about two or three years before stepping out of pastoral ministry within this church, uh, God was starting to make things uncomfortable in our lives, starting to make things in, in our hearts, starting to stir us. And, um, and at that stage, it was, a difficult, it was a really difficult season for us in that we, um, you, you know, you can get comfortable in a salaried position. You can get comfortable in the fact that you're raising children and there's a lot of responsibilities and there's costs. 
uh, involved. But God started to stir within our hearts more and more. And he kept taking me back to that, you know, the scripture of, of Paul, where Paul would say, you know, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I got to really start uh, sensing in my heart that um, we'd, you know, we'd pursued Christ with everything that we had. But could I truly uh, look at myself in the mirror at night and say to my, my own children, follow me as I'm continuing to follow Christ? In other words, you know, I couldn't, you know, God's always, he, he, he really gets after the heart of the matter and he gets after our hearts. In other words, not follow me, Gemma, who my oldest daughter's here today, as I once followed Christ when I was, you know, when uh, that honeymoon time when I fell in love with him, but continue to follow me and imitate me as I'm imitating Christ today. And so God was really starting to stir and, and let us out of a, a full-time position within this local ministry into a what we sense is like a wider mission field and it was a very difficult time because you know I think that that fear came over me as a as a as a husband as a father as a as a as a provider but I really had to come to to know God again as my source as the source of supply in my life and so that transition and I think transitions in our lives are never easy but that transition was something where I really had to come back to knowing him as my source and my provider. And so he, he worked some things in me, which uh, I know, like when God works some things deeply within you, he works it in you so that it's a lesson that's been learned that's now always with you. So I've come to know him as a God who is good, who sees my need and provides. And so we, we've seen amazing stories. I remember prior to coming into, into full-time pastoral ministry at, at Cliff Harvest, um, it was sort of midway through 2003, and I'd listened to Bill Winston preach for the first time, and he was speaking about they just having faith uh, in God to pay off things. So we had faith in, in God to pay off a, a home mortgage that we had, that our home would be fully paid off. So we trusted God, and we really took that word, started to meditate it, put it in our hearts, and uh, it was an amazing thing because I then uh, met with Roger Navon. It was a little while after that. We made the decision to step out of business and come into full-time pastoral ministry. And that end of that year, the 31st of December, 2003, we were on our way down to Hogsback to go and spend time with Francine's parents. And um, this chap phones us while we were on our way down to Hogsback to say, look, I've had a dream last night and I saw a home being, uh, uh, being built and it was half completed. Does that mean anything to you? Are you building or do you have a mortgage on your home? So I said, look, we're not building. We've got a mortgage on our home. What he said, he said, come and see me when you get back. But I really feel that God is telling me that I need to complete uh, what, has, what, what has been started there. And so we met him when we got back and he, um, for a season of about three years, he paid off um, 50% of our mortgage on our home. And so it was just incredible, the provision of God we've seen as we've stepped out now of, um, uh, you know, out of uh, full-time pastoral ministry. We did that in, in December 2018. We've seen God's hand in the tiny details. We've seen people uh, bless us in, in incredible ways. We've seen God open up opportunities that we could never have dreamt of. And we've seen that He is faithful in, in every single detail and will continue to be. Awesome. Thanks, Scotty. Um, Vonnie, if I could 
um, come to you, there's a, a Hudson Taylor quote that said, God wants you to have something far better than riches and gold, and that is helpless dependence on him. And I know uh, for your journey, often there's been a, a thing where God has asked you to step out and to stop playing it safe and to trust him. Um, and I know there's been many stories. I uh, think about the bills that you've mentioned to us before as staff. I think about the year of your life house. There's probably many other stories. But can you just share a little around where God has challenged you uh, to trust his generosity, his provision, and not to play it safe? Do you want to use the mic? I think that um, things starts, God, that journey takes many, many years. I think many times people think faith just develops overnight, but it takes many, many years uh, to develop for him to bring you to that place. So I think my journey started many, many years ago because truly, as the scripture, it says that he'll test where your treasure is, what truly holds your heart. And um, so mine started many, many years ago. Many times he asked me, and sort of twice, when we still lived on the farm, I, um, Roger obviously wasn't saved then, but twice, and I didn't have very, very much, but twice I emptied my savings account to sow into building funds into church, building funds. At that time, I tithed off my little um, bit of income that I, that I got. So there was those little steps that, that took, um, you know, in those, in those times. The sad thing at that time was I didn't have very much, but I know that at that time, that just because I'd served on the committees at that time, um, that I actually was the second biggest donor. And there wasn't very much that I'd given, which is a sad stat, actually. But um, God had shown so many different things. And when we came to the, to the um, here, when we moved, there was a step that we had to take. We had to step out in faith. We had to sign for the house here before we rented our house out on the farm. And then it was only the next day that we had nobody interested in, in uh, renting our house out on the farm. But it was only when we committed to renting the house out here, the house here, that we had a call to say, I wanna come and see your house. And it rented out at exactly the same price for what we had committed to here. So through that, then it didn't cost us um, you know, any, any money. It was little steps like that that God had shown. Even before that, where we, we had, were going through a terrible time uh, financially. I think many people think that when we came here, they look at us now and think, oh, it was easy for them because they were wealthy and they had lots of money, and we didn't. We actually were going through a very, very difficult time financially. We had canceled our insurance policies. We had no medical aid, um, and we had to trust God for, uh, for all of that um, during that time. At the same time with the farm, we had uh, uh, prayed over it, we saw God move miraculously. We never ran out of water. Uh, we never had to retrench anybody. Yet, you know, we had very little uh, income. God had promised at that time that out of those dead roots, the cane would grow again, even though the science people had said that was dead, nothing would happen. And I think if faith is built, you do not have faith in that place. God doesn't bring you to that place. And it is a faith that has been mocked and scorned. Um, so there have been many times that I've been mocked and scorned for what I've stood for and when I've said that God has told us this and this is what is going to happen and seen him come through. People said, get your head out of this end. It's not going to happen. Um, so I think that's what happens. And when we moved here, it was still the same. You know, it was that time. It was t times were really, really tight. And then God asked us to start the church where we basically financed the church. We didn't receive a salary but we actually paid all the costs of the church too. In fact, we actually paid somebody else um, to help us. And normally church plants is another church helps you, but we paid them to help us. 
and um, and we actually paid all the all the, the the costs at that time. And I remember before that that God actually challenging me on certain things and saying, "What really holds your heart, Yvonne?" And many of these things that we can that can be really little little things because we can often put it to money. But I remember at that time saying, God, you can have it all. You can everything. You know, I don't mind. You can sell everything. And when we had given up and moved to, the, to Kloof, we had given up our home on the farm, our beautiful home, um, which is beautifully decorated. We had had sort of like this floral art through the home and it had been on show. And we had moved to this home in, in Kloof and just put our furniture wherever it could fit. Nothing matched. Um, nothing, you know, we couldn't afford to redecorate it. Um, you know, bathrooms were old and everything was old. We couldn't afford to do it and we had to live like that. So I think also people kind of like need to understand there is sacrifice in certain things. You can't just pray and say God will provide and, and not do without certain things. We had to do without some stuff. You can't just carry on spending money and think God is going to provide for you. But I remember at that time thinking, oh God, you know, what, whatever it is, he, you're a good, good father. One of the things at that time was my children's education to me was an important thing. But I remember saying to him, God, you know what it is? I don't mind. They don't have to go to those schools. But in relative to the cost of the farm, it was very little. And I remember laying my hands and, and praying about it. And God's saying, well, what would you give for them to, to, to stay there? I'm saying, they can have it all. They have it all, God, but not my piano. Not my piano. And um, for those of you know me, I have a baby grand piano, and I said, but not my piano. Can, can I keep my piano? And it was almost like I, had, and I needed to get to that place. You see, that was in my heart. I, I love, I want my piano. And I, it, when I was almost like I had to give my piano, I had to, my piano was in my heart. And it's almost a little thing is that what really holds your heart? I'd already given my children to God. So what is it that holds your heart? Where is your treasure really? And uh, you, we have to give all to God, every single thing in, all, in, in that. And I remember at that time, many times, laying my hands on our accounts to keep the farm running, um, laying my hands there. We had already prayed over the farm, laying and saying, God, I don't know how well I'm going to pay these bills. I don't know how I'm going to pay for, for, for the things. But we had to continue praying over it and saying, but you are Jehovah Jireh. You're the Lord who provides. And he would, I don't know, even today I, I can't actually compute it in my head many times how we went, through, how we came through that time and how we paid. I mean, I know naturally there are certain things when we were on the farm. God uses amazing ways. We had a burglary on the farm um, and because of the insurance paid out, that sort of sustained us for a while. Amazingly at that time though, um, because it was, I think God was teaching Roger some things. He was a new Christian. Everything got stolen. <laughs> Everything got stolen, but not one thing of mine was touched. My cupboards weren't even opened. Uh, no, the kids' things, but everything was stolen. All their school uniforms were stolen, but we had to buy new school uniforms. And, but through that, we never had to buy another set of school uniforms for the rest of their school years. And uh, he provided. Our car got stolen, and, um, but, and, but we got paid 40,000 rand more than what we had been offered on a trade-in. Uh, a few months before that. And then we got paid another 5,000 rand because the excess, because they found the car six months later. And that car cost us no money for the next few years. God provided through the thieves. So, um, you know, <laughs> God provides in amazing ways. We get devastated because things happen, but God uses those things to, to provide. The Life House came along. We had no money here, started the program. 
We prayed about it. God said, offer that much money for the rent. We said, we don't have that much money for the rent. That much money is not even coming in. But miraculously, uh, that money came in every single month. God has shown uh, so many times. Uh, I mean, we could write a book on the stories of God providing generously, but it takes time. Those are the things being marked, we've been scored, that we have to understand when we understand God's character of who he is. Amazing, amazing. And I know that we've had some discussions already um, about multiple other stories that we haven't yet got to. We could probably just run this panel all day. Can I end by first honoring the four of you because there's a real legacy of generosity that you guys have set up for the church, our church to follow in. And I think that's really important. If we just rest on the generosity of the generation that's come before, I think that we'll squander everything that God wants to set up. But it's about carrying on that legacy. And so I'm going to ask you uh, each um, a question and we do have a bit of a time constraint. So maybe kind of a minute or two answer. Uh, Fiona, if I could just say to you, there's a quote that says, God doesn't just want uh, to move in your heart, but also in your schedule and your wallet. And uh, what is it going to take for the church, our church, and this next generation to uh, <coughs> just live in extreme generosity? I think it's, um, it comes from understanding that everything we have in these lives is simply put in our hands so that we can sow it for the life to come. We're not going to reach this generation with the gospel, I mean, the, the multitudes in the Valley of Decision, um, we're not going to reach them without a generous church. We just aren't. And, you know, when I'm teaching on eternity and heaven right now, and when you understand that just as heaven is so real, so is hell. And it's, it's, a, it's a dreadful, dreadful consideration to think that people who die without Jesus are going there. And the church is going to have to reach into many different communities and many different lands, and not only with preaching, but with music, because music touches people's hearts with what True Life are doing, with all these different things, and none of that happens without, without money. And it's so silly of us to use the money that we've got now for these lives when this earth has already got a condemned sign on it, and it's reserved for judgment by fire, and nothing that we have here is going to last. But everything we send ahead, not only is our heart going to be where our treasure lies, but we are storing up for ourselves um, treasure for the life to come, Paul says to Timothy, that is really life. May I read a scripture? Yes. Thank you. In, in 2 Timothy, uh, sorry, 1 Timothy 6, well, I'm just going to quote it. In 1 Timothy 6, um, from about 17 to 19, Paul says to Timothy, command. He doesn't say suggest or have a chat. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. Um, not to be arrogant or to put their trust in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their trust in God. And he, and he says, and to be generous and willing to share so that they are able to build up for themselves a treasure in the life to come, which is truly life. And so it's not a rebuke to rich people, but what it is is saying, listen, guys, please don't use it all for this life. Because this present life is going to be over. But do it for the life that is to come, because that's real life. Amazing. Scotty, Amy Carmichael says, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Um, final thoughts on generosity and what's going to be required to reach the lost. 
When Jesus was with that Samaritan woman at the well, and he went there, and uh, he was compelled to go, to go and, to go and reach her with, with the good news of God. Um, his disciples come back, and they, you know, there's a whole discussion that goes on, and he says to them, basically, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Um, and really, you know, Jesus said to them at that time, he says to us now, don't say that there's four months and then comes the harvest. Lift up, your, lift up your eyes and look. The harvest fields are white under harvest all around us. And I think it's going to be a, a people, the people of God, that return back to their first love. Um, you know, when Jesus is challenging the church in the book of Revelation, the loveless church, he goes on and he says, you know, you guys have got all discernment and you found out those who are false apostles, but this one thing I have against you, you've left your first love. Go back, repent, and go and do the things that you did at first. And I think it's, you know, when I look back, if I look back at, at dating and courting uh, Francine, my wife, um, what a, you know, that first love when you are in love. It's a beautiful thing, but there's some outrageous things that you do, and God's looking for some outrageous things from our lives in these days, where we would pour out our lives, where we would do things that are out of the ordinary. So it's a people that are attentive to the voice of God, a people that are hearing God, and a people that are responding to God because of the passion of that first love that's burning within our hearts. People don't really care how much we know. They want to know how much we care. And uh, it's the love of God that compels us to go, and the love of God is a giving love. And, and it's our very lives poured out uh, day after day. Amazing. Thanks, Scotty. Roger and Vonnie, Brian Houston says it's the, uh, not the gifts of a few, but the sacrifices of many that are going to build the church. Um, your final thoughts on the future of this church, the church around radical obedience and generosity. Yeah, I didn't know you were going to ask me that one, but um, it's been wonderful how generous people have been in this church to build what we see today. And we really do, we're so grateful to every single person um, that has built not only here, but enabled us to start Open Skies Peter Maritzburg, Open Skies Giba. And for those who haven't been there, I want to tell you that's the best church, Giba, so you better get down there. Um, and Ngani Army, True Life, just everything. So thanks to all the generous people. But Colin, if I may just um, say one last thing on that scripture that we read at the beginning that God would give us a hundred times more if we give up everything for him. Um, I never ever thought of it in ransom sense, but I think I have told some of you um, many years after reading that, when I read that was 1993, when we gave up a lot, um, the cost of the call was hectic to do God's work. Many years later, um, I managed um, with a friend of mine to rezone the farms, our farms we had, and believe it or not, I didn't know at the time, but in 2008, I sold the farms. Well, most of it, we've kept one small one. Um, we sold for a, a large figure um, after rezoning the farms. And only many years after 2008, I was actually asked to give my testimony at his church. Fiona asked me to give it many years ago. And that hundred times stood out at me, and I thought, I just thought a hundred times was hundred times more blessings, family, children being saved, all those important things. But when I worked it out, um, I added up what we had paid for the different farms. And it, to the rand, to the rand, it was a hundred times more than I'd paid. So, you know, we've always tithed and um, we've never robbed God. 
And God knows that. And he, it's, you know, this is called the cost of the call. I don't like talking about money, but we were paid 100 times more than what we paid for the farms. Um, yeah, which, which, which was amazing. So, yeah, that's it. My final thought is that, is that we are called to build God's kingdom, not our kingdom. And so whatever gifts and talents that he has given us, they are to be used for his glory, not for our glory. And um, many years ago, God said to me, he said, Yvonne, if you bring me your empty jar, I will fill it. It applies for this church, it applies for our own lives, and that's learning to trust him in that. And so it's where we put our trust. If we put our trust in the world system and in the world's ways, if we put our trust in our bank account, and if we look at that to bring us our security and that our worth and our assurances in that, if that makes us feel safe, it can go in an instant. Stock market will crash. Everything will change in an instant. You can lose it like that. But only one thing is sure. God is always on the throne no matter what is going around us. His kingdom is eternal. There's the only thing that's worth. Either you will build with gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. But wood, hay, and stubble will burn in the fire. But gold, silver, and precious stones, watch out. His kingdom values will last forever. It's the only thing that you will take with you. And the souls that come along. God's kingdom cannot be built with a few people. Our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So whether you call to full-time ministry, it's out there. When you make money, it's for the kingdom. Yes, God doesn't have a problem with, how, with your standard of living, but as long as you always are kingdom-minded. How you treat your people, how you, how you treat your employees, it's always for the kingdom. It's always for God's glory, not for your luxury. And it's something that we pray every single day. And, uh, and so that's what it's about. It's about building God's kingdom. Time is short, guys. Time is short. This earth is coming to an end. And there are too many people. Revival's coming. And so we need to build. And we need to go. And God is calling. And so trust Him. If your business needs to grow, He has it in hand. And one last story I want to tell you that God showed us. And saying, listen, if you think that I can't do it, I want to tell you I can turn things overnight. I can change your fortune. He turned Roger's tooth little metal plate into gold that was worth far more. He was showing him. He said, don't worry about where the money's gonna come from. I can change your tooth in an instant. If you don't believe me, you can come and check his tooth afterwards. Awesome. I don't know if it's still there. <laughs> so let's just thank uh, the four elders who've been sharing today. Thank you guys. Um, you're welcome to head off if you would like incredible hope that you have been inspired and encouraged and challenged to go okay god what do you what do you require from me what do you want from me can i